So, here we are, beyond the farthest star, and Star Trek the Animated Series. This is uh, going to be interesting. Let me admit, I've never actually watched the entirety of this show all the way through. Oh, I've seen it. Uh, in fact, there's a decent chance I've seen every episode, you know, piecemeal, bit by bit over the years. But I don't think I've ever actually sat down and, in fact, I know I've never sat down and watched the whole thing in one clunk like we're about to do. I've also made fun of it consistently and persistently, but almost entirely by virtue of how silly it gets at times, which is something I make fun of the rest of Trek for, and the animation, which is terrible. Filmation did the animation. They did something called uh, limited animation, which is some, which is a specific type of animation where you have like a static piece and then another static piece, but then like, um, I don't know, Imagine an entire picture, and then you layer, layer... They were limited to six layers, actually, which is astonishing. So they had to only have six layers in some cases. But um, you have the, the background of the bridge, and then you have, like, Uhura there. But you have Uhura's body, and then you have Uhura's face. And then you have her face, like, looking this way. And then you have... You switch to a frame of the, of the angle... And then a frame forward, but the only frame you're actually changing is her face. So the only thing you actually need to redraw or draw anew would be her face. And then you could draw it going back. And the background might have two animation layers to it, you know, blink, 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 stuff like that. This is limited animation. It's something a lot of people use, especially with regards to saving time and money. Hell, I've used that, and I don't really do animation strictly since I've, I've made a grand total of two animated videos so far. And I do have to say, having made two animated videos before part of this one, I do have a lot more sympathy for the hurdles of animation, and I can see a lot of the shortcuts they took and a lot of the decisions they made as they go through it. They also use lots and lots and lots of stock footage, which also makes sense. For a show like this, uh, especially at this point in history, that's a very logical thing to do. You make the backdrop and then you use it as often as you can. You make the the animation loop of them walking to the side and you use it as often as you can. If you notice in this very episode, Kirk, just to name one example, almost consistently walks straight to the right, not at an angle or at a top down or any other thing, because that's the animation loop they already had. It does severely limit the kind of camera angles you can use to talk this in contrast to a movie I've just discussed recently. But that's for people who have time and money. And they had neither on this one. See, a funny thing happened. Uh, TOS hit syndication. And, well, NBC decided to update how they track their figures. Now, I hope you're paying attention back to the TOS stuff, because... One of the biggest things I kept talking about throughout the whole TOS thing is the financial side of things. Why? How? Behind the scenes stuff. Because A, I find that fascinating, and B, I actually had a wealth of information to work from. If you're paying attention, they were actually considering and even willing to start a season four, but the numbers just weren't quite there, and they weren't really sure, and even though they did have the static numbers, which I discussed in a previous rumination, they just, they, they, nah, let's go ahead and chop it. And that was the right call. Here's the funny part. When they went back and rechecked their figures, what they did was they used a new system of checking. 
And this was taking into account syndication as well, it's worth noting. But the reason I mention that is anybody who has done any kind of data information, anything, knows that data is worthless next to lore. No, I'm kidding. Data information, to be more clear about it, information is completely worthless unless you know how to use it, unless you have context and interpretation. And they were interpreting the same data wrong, for lack of a better way to put it. When they did their overhaul and updated their systems, they started rechecking their data and found out that even in syndication, TOS was doing pretty well. This is one of the reasons why the convention circuit, which I've mentioned many, many times, going back as, at least as far as season two, uh, was such a big deal for Star Trek because it was still running around. It was still circulating and it was still hitting so many popular points that there was enough interest to consistently get these conventions going and working for the next several, several years up until the franchise actually got picked up again. Which is a story I've actually already discussed several years ago at this point with the motion picture and the massive kerfuffle and mess that led into that. So, this was their first attempt. Uh, actually, no, this is, it'd be more accurate to say this is their second attempt. Let's not get into that. This, <laughs> this is their first successful attempt to restart the franchise. They would have a second attempt uh, several years later with Phase 2, which actually got pretty far in, and then, and then motion picture. But they wanted to bring back Trek. Now, when I say they wanted to bring back Trek, they wanted to bring back Trek. The problem is this information came a little bit too late. One of the things I talked about extensively was reusage of studios and materials and infrastructure, camera personnel, cameras themselves, sets, props, um, the editing rooms, all of the infrastructure that goes into making a show. Trek got... Pretty lucky, as I've talked about several times, thanks to Lucy Ball and uh, Mr. Solo and Mr. Kuhn and a dozen other people that I've been trying to name specifically as we go throughout TOS, who all contributed to making sure this show got made physically, the, the, the practicality, the functionality of actually getting the sucker made, right? And I hope you've been watching the TOS stuff because I talk about that stuff constantly over there. But all that's gone now. All the people who are working on Trek have moved on. Most of the actors are willing to come back, but it's been a little bit. The directors have moved on. The writers have moved on. Roddenberry's just kind of doing his own thing. I don't even want to talk about that. While he was certainly interested, because it was his baby and it was his meal ticket, there's also the fact that they just didn't have any of the sets or props or infrastructure. It was all gone. It had all been struck months and months ago. So they would effectively have to make a new show, is what they would have to do. They would have to hire all the new people, build all the new sets, build all the new props, set up all the lighting, hire all the, the people back to blah, 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 blah. It would be the same equivalent of setting up a completely new show. The only thing that they would have is effectively, if, I mean, if you're paying attention, this what they've been doing is making a proper remake of the show. Real quick, if you don't watch my video game side of things, which is the other majority of the channel, really it is like 80% of what I do is talk about. I talk about video games and I talk about Star Trek and I talk about other shows. Um, and then movies is like this little sliver. But on the video games, a, a proper remake, a true proper remake is making a new game. It requires all of the time and effort and work and investment and budget and, and everything that making a brand new game involves. The difference is, and the one thing you have going for you is that you effectively have a blueprint because you already have the original game which you were making it based off of, right? That's the same idea what they wanted to do here. Then they actually, and they actually went to the point of doing a feasibility study and actually had people go through, I keep saying actually, 
I'm just impressed by this because they put the effort and work into making this happen. And then the budget people got back to them and said, this is what it's going to cost. And they said, oh. Huh. Well, what else can we do? Now, an idea that had been shopped around for a while was animation. Animation was actually a logical move for Star Trek for reasons I'll discuss later, but the most obvious reason is it bypasses so many issues when it comes to television. Anybody who's watched my Lore Week stuff over the past couple of years has noticed that I've talked about the benefits of animation when it comes to show production for a long time. Let me name two examples right off the top of my head. Example number one, it is a lot cheaper to draw a set than to make one. Example number two, Odo. Odo, René Abergenois, F, I just reminded myself of that. By now of recording this, he has, he has passed at this point. René Abergenois would have to go in early and go through the makeup call and spend lots of time and effort, money, and several people would have to be on staff specifically to set him up in makeup so that he could be on screen. And so as a natural consequence, and we saw this in DS9, Odo, with only a couple of exceptions, generally wouldn't actually be in an episode unless he had some significance to do there. In fact, in several cases, they would film several of his scenes back-to-back, even if they were across multiple episodes, especially when they got to, like, season five and onwards. Because they put all this time and work and effort into this makeup. Oh, and by the way, you got to get all that makeup back off, too, which is another large chunk of time and effort. In animation, boop, he's there. Even if he has no lines, he can be there. This suddenly gives a tool into the arsenal of the creators, because not only is it much easier to have uh, you know, characters be present, but you can have characters be present without actually having the actor present. You could have Odo in the background with no lines. And you might wonder, what's the point of that? Visual continuity, background continuity, it's something I've talked about a lot since the TNG videos at this point, but I also mentioned it substantially over in the Babylon 5 stuff. When you see the same guest stars, when you see the same regulars uh, at, at the cons or at the background or whatever, it adds just that little extra oomph, that little flavoring on top of the rest, whoa, the rest of the episode that helps to add a layer of believability, for lack of a better way to put it. One moment, please. Never <clears throat> mm. wonder why I keep this right on my desk. <laughs> so... Two obvious benefits. There's other benefits as well, which I'll cover in just a moment. So they're like, animation! Yes! Great idea! Well, they insisted on bringing back the original cast. And by the original cast, I of course mean the big three. As I've discussed extensively, and by the time this has gone live, I hope some of you have actually started to see the Star Trek Rewrite Project stuff, which, by my perspective, I've actually started now, and and Lower Loader and I've actually been pushing that. There's a... I don't like the Big Three concept. And the Big Three concept is in basically every Trek, with the only potential uh, exception of DS9. Fresh reminder, I still haven't seen any of the new Trek stuff. That's going to be important in a minute, too. So, (laughs) I suppose I should mention that now. I still haven't seen Lower Decks. I actually spoke extensively in how much in favor I am of a Star Trek animated show. I have no idea if Lower Decks is it. Still haven't seen it. Anyways... But they wanted the big three. You know, there's always the big three, and everyone else is just a secondary character, an ancillary character, whatever. Uh, and so they wanted, and they wanted Nimoy, uh, Kelly, and Shatner back. And that's expensive. 
That's the first point. While NBC obviously did want to make this show happen, they were still operating within budget ranges, and so they were like, eh, okay. And they were willing to pony up for the amount of money that those three actors could and did charge at the time. Remember, their salaries were going up every season, and because of how Hollywood works, the more stuff you work on, the higher salary you command, especially if that stuff goes big, like Trek was kind of doing. So, that's a huge chunk of the budget. Then, several, now I've heard a lot of conflicting reports on this, but the only thing they conflict on is who actually put their foots down. Several, several people have all insisted it's either these actors or this director or Roddenberry himself or, or someone who wasn't even involved in the whole project, and everyone seems to disagree on who actually put their foot down. But what we do know is someone put their foot down, or foot's feet, and decided, no, we need to bring everyone back. And they wanted to bring back Nichelle Nichols and uh, George Takei and Walter Koenig and James Doohan. Now, I'm actually cool with that. Problem. The aforementioned salary problem. In fact, the aforementioned salary problem was so huge, they actually had to axe someone. And so they decided to axe uh, Chekhov, Walter Koenig. <laughs> Poor Chekhov. He, uh... Well, we've talked about how much his character got shafted over the series, so let's just move on, shall we? He did get to write an episode, which was then massively rewritten, against his will. And he was going to voice and act in it, except then he didn't. Yay. Either way, Chekhov was replaced by some aliens. Yes, plural. And, okay, we got the whole cast back. This um, may or may not have been a good idea. I know that sounds like such a strange thing to say, but if you're not willing to do something properly, it might be worth considering that you shouldn't do it at all. Now... I'm not saying that's an absolute, but that is something I've observed to be true quite a bit over the years. Because they weren't willing to put the money into this to make this a full-time show. So their budget hadn't budged, which meant that the ridiculous majority of that budget was eaten up simply by the salary of the main cast, which left very, very little left over for everything else. Enter Filmation. Now, some of you probably are aware of Filmation, and Filmation has made some decent stuff in their time, for the time. I would say most of their stuff has not aged well, my personal opinion, uh, unlike some older animation, which actually, there is older animation that has aged reasonably well, but this is not it. Uh, Filmation is really, really, really cheap, and it shows. Everything I talked earlier about, you know, cutting corners, well, they did that as standard policy. There's a reason why the uh, the episode, and indeed the episodes we'll see in the future, are lifeless, is the word I want to use. Despite being animated, it feels a little bit more like watching a slideshow. Um, in fact, I want to comment on that next while I'm here. So I had this thought before, but then I was like, no, eject the thought. You know, As I've said many times, from memory is a vague and... <laughs> In imprecise thing. I prefer to actually go back through with analysis mode and see what I think of something. And no, my memory was completely correct on this one. The voice acting is not good. I don't know if that's really the actor's fault or if it's the voice director because a lot of voice acting sits on voice directing, as I've talked about many times over on the gaming side of things. So you, you need a good voice director to pull a good performance out of an actor. And as I've also talked about many times, just because you're a good actor doesn't make you a good voice actor, and vice versa, actually. They are, they are completely separate types of acting. 
and utilizing your voice in a way that is specifically trying to invoke something is completely different than having all of the tools of your body language and your motion and knowing that the camera is there. Instead, all of that's stripped away and all you have left is this. Now, you can do great things with this, as many years have shown, but with one exception... Mm, let me walk that back. With two exceptions, nobody in this episode particularly did a good acting job at all. I have literally had viewers who have been part of the Lorewalker Theater do better acting than this. Now, that's not an insult to them. They're actually awesome. But my point is that these are people who just decided to jump in the theater because it would be fun and grabbed a mic and started recording, and they did a better job than this. So... Why did I mention this with regards to the slideshow thing? Their voice reading style... <sighs> there was something... I can't remember what it's called. There was something we used to do uh, in order to act out for scenes back in theater. And what they do is they'd have the scripts, and they'd be reading them. And they would effectively just be sitting there doing the, the rough run-through. Oh, God, there's a term for that. I can't think of what it's called. You probably know what I'm talking about, and every comment in the comment section is going to be answering this question now. It's just, okay, da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, and then they person, da-da. And they're just sitting in a room. They're not in costume. They're not acting. They're just all sitting reading the lines in sequence to kind of get a feel for the beats and how they want to act off of each other, right? A, 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 a run-through. This sounds like that. This sounds like, because they all, apparently they pulled them in for one big recording session, and it sounds like they sat down and did the first run-through and then took that. Now, originally, I was going to say that just as an insult. But then I got to thinking, I think they actually did that. Because remember, shoestring budget and time in recording studio equals money. And, you know, having the, the editor and having the recording, recorder in the booth and having the director figuring out what lines and blah, blah, blah. So I actually think that they were given, like, a chance to glance over the script and then they actually did this and read the script to each other. And then recorded it, and I think that's the take they had. It will be curious to see if that improves. I mentioned two exceptions. I want to point out both of those. One is Nichelle Nichols, who actually manages to emote in several of her lines. It was so strange. It almost would be a bad thing because of how much it contrasts everyone else's totally monotone droning. The other person is James Doohan. Now, Doohan doesn't do great as Scotty, if I'm just being completely blunt. I know. Horrible. But Doohan voices a lot of other people. And as we will discuss going throughout this show, Doohan is like the voice actor of this show. He voices so many other characters. It's actually kind of silly. I find myself wondering if the man ever wanted to have an actual professional voice acting career, and if he would have been able to if you know he'd been born like you know thirty years later and existed in a time where professional voice actor wasn't something that you know people would stuff up their nubs their their snub up their noses at. <sighs> yeah, the last thing to talk about here, really quick. Actually, we've got a couple other things. You know, we could talk about the Emmys. We could talk about the 18 to 45 male demographic. Gotta hit that. We could talk about Lieutenant Kyle. He's back. And he's gone. I hope you enjoyed him. This is his last speaking line in the entire series, and therefore all of Trek. That's actually a lot. He's in Star Trek too. but you get my point. Um, we could talk about Hal Sutherland and how he's a terrible director. But we could, we could talk about how Samuel Peoples wrote this. You may recognize that name. He wrote Where No Man Has Gone Before, which I'll get to that in a minute. We could talk about uh, some of the obvious benefits of animation. I mentioned there were two other benefits to animation I would talk about. One of them is aliens. 
or anything that doesn't look like a rubber mask, basically. You can do actual aliens. You can do something that isn't just people with a little bit of makeup and these ears. You remember how I talked about how expensive it was to do Romulans, and that's why they didn't show up so often and why so many of them had the helmet? I, I, I say that, I reiterate that to reemphasize how silly the, the cost problems were and why everyone's a humanoid in Star Trek is because it was just an issue. In, in, in two eras of Trek history, it was just an issue making non-humanoids. So they made humanoids. But in an animated show, well, you can make whatever the heck you want, don't you? Or can you, I should say. Excuse me. <clears throat> and they kind of start doing this, and we'll see more of this in the future. Moving on. But... The next thing I want to talk about is the canonicity of this. And I'm going to discuss canon itself. Because what is canon? Well, canon's easy to describe. Canon is what the owners of a particular work decide counts when it comes to making continuity. That's, that's what canon means. Now, I point this up because there's no debating this. Like, that, that is canon, the end. Now, how much we may consider it fitting and how much it's contiguous and whether or not we may mentally eject it or not, that's a whole other thing. That's, that's realms of headcanon and preference and continuity and writing and blah, 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 blah. But in terms of actual canon, that is the decision and sole decision of the owners. Not the creators, the owners of the work. The reason I bring that up is TAS has had questionable canonicity for years. Up until about 2007, it was, who knows? Some episodes might be canon, but might not, but some people prefer this. And if there's actually a list uh, you can find. I think Memory Alpha has one. But I, I've seen a list on a website where they sat down and figured out every reference from TAS that future shows used, and there were a few. Uh, quite a few, actually, into the DS9 era, to give you an idea. And actually, I think Enterprise as well. So, questionable candidacy, questionable continuity there. Then Paramount in 2007 said, yeah, no, it's canon. And just just laid that down, and apparently it has been ever since. This is something I commented on uh, in a completely unrelated video when we were discussing uh, New Trek and how it fits in canon, and the relevance thereof, and the idea that the animated series was part of that was just admittedly kind of laughable. But then again, I started thinking about this. Well, I will vociferously make fun of this show, by the way. Fair warning. I'm, I'm not going to be holding back on this show. The fact of the matter is, I make fun of Trek in general. Because I love Trek. That, that's how that works. I make fun of my fun, make fun of my friend Pax, too. You know, that's, that's how that works. So there's going to be a lot of light ribbing. And there's, then there's going to be the face-palmingly stupid stuff, which I'm going to point out and then mentally eject from reality. There is plenty of TNG and TOS... And DS9, even the Golden Boy, DS9, has episodes which which really should just be ejected from continuity, from canon, and yet technically are. And this is ignoring the fact that so many facts and concepts actually completely contradict each other across the whole series, never mind within a specific show. So the idea of TAS being canon isn't that out of bounds, although it does mean magic is real. I wonder if it's friendship as well. Let's talk about the opening. So then the opening song plays... Oh my god. Okay, real talk. How many of you have seen this episode? Like, I imagine of the various tracks I'm covering, this is going to be the, the most niche. I want you to do me a favor, and just, if you haven't recently, if you don't watch these with me, because I know a lot of you watch me with me, these with me, and you're awesome. But if you haven't and you don't, pop over to YouTube real quick. Another tab, preferably. And pull up just the Star Trek The Animated Series intro song. That's not the worst thing in the world, but what? 
Huh? Man, and I made fun of Enterprise's intro. Uh, so, the episode starts. Um, if you remember, uh, if you paid attention during the TOS stuff, especially in Season 3, I was dissecting the majority of the episodes. In fact, I think it's all but about five or six episodes. Fit into one of four uh, specific categories. Dilemma, threat, mystery, and message. And I talked about this extensively. No judgment, no negativity. There's nothing wrong with sticking to archetypes. And there's actually, it's actually probably a good thing to have that kind of structure, especially when you're making something that is structured, like a television show. So I'm with it. What's interesting is sometimes you'd have bleed off. And in fact, some of the hybrid shows tend to be some of the better ones. Like, for example, Amok Time is a mystery that then de- evolves into a dilemma, to use a personal example on that. But this episode actually does the same thing. It starts off as a mystery and then evolves into a threat. Now, it is dominantly a threat episode. And no judgment. Again, if you're making... And real talk for a second. If you're making a new Trek show, especially in this day and age... And I don't mean now. I mean when the animated series came out back in the, the long, long ago. If you're making a new Trek show, you kind of want to catch people's attention, not just for the people who are coming back to the show, but for new people who you want to be interested in the show. Starting off with the threat episode is not a bad idea, and doing a mystery evolving into a threat is actually a pretty good idea. If you pay attention, a decent number of Trek openers tend to be threat dominant. There's only a couple... Hang on, let me actually think about that for a moment. Because we've got where no man has gone before which is a threat episode. We've got Encounter at Farpoint, which is actually a dilemma episode, with Q not really fitting because he was added to pad out the runtime. We've got uh, Emissary, excuse me, which is... That's a tough one, actually, to put a finger on. What do you think Emissary would qualify as? Because in many ways, Emissary feels like a threat episode, especially when Gold Ducat shows up or, and, and then goes into the wormhole, and then the other goals show up, and it's like, we got to call the Enterprise for help. And the threat takes a, a, a firm front stage. But given how much of the focus is actually on uh, Cisco and his character thing, I think that's probably more of a, a dilemma kind of an episode, more than anything else. So, dilemma threat. <laughs> then we've got uh, Caretaker over in Voyager, very definitively a threat episode. They wanted it to be a dilemma episode. They failed. And then we've got Broken Bow, threat episode. So <laughs> overall, you can see the you can see the idea. You can see the impetus. So I'm not making fun of that. Quite the contrary. In fact, I actually think the intro to this—that is to say, the what would normally be the cold open, although they don't really have that—and the the first act. It's pretty good. We've got this this super this hyper gravity. Okay, I gotta pause and mention that the dialogue in this show is terrible. Moving on. They've got this hyper gravity sphere, which is like a condensed star or something, even though it has negative ratings, let's just let's move on, let's move on. It's it's a it's a very dense gravity gravimetric field. That's all it needs to be. So they're getting pulled into it, they can't resist the pull, they decide to try and pull an orbit. That's smart. And then they see there's another ship there. This is the mystery part, and it's got a lot of strength to it. it. It invokes a lot of questions, as a good teaser, as a good opening should. What is this? What is this? Uh, you know, lost star or object, or whatever. What is the ship? Why is the ship there? Is it there on purpose? Was was it specifically? Uh, was it caught just like the Enterprise was? Were they hiding here? Is this their home? You know, all these questions are prompted by the way they construct this. It's good stuff. And then they go over and they find out that they specifically sought it out in order to stop something. This is when it shifts over to threat. 
but you can see how there's a lot of good potential for this big, you know, I, I suppose, mystery destructo thing. They also mention that it's likely the ship specifically self-destructed and destroyed themselves, which adds to that tension of why? Why? You know, a, a good mystery episode always prompts that question extensively. Why? So, good stuff overall. We also see some good stuff um, with, you know, the idea to slingshot around it. It's not a bad idea, and is foreshadowing. We see the uh, another advantage, the final advantage I'm going to talk about with the animation thing. We get to see the ins- insectoid ship against the Constitution. And the Constitution is this big little guy right here, and the, and the insect ship is this gargantuan thing covering the whole screen. Now, they could do that with models, but frankly, they couldn't do that with models in the era in which this show came out. But they can do that with animation. Now, they could do that with models in more modern stuff, and in even more modern stuff, they would use CGI to do the same thing. But really, CGI is just a more advanced form of animation in terms of execution. So you could see the benefit, once again, of animation when it comes to track. Anyways, just wanted to hammer that point in there. So we've got a good premise and a good mystery. And we've got another cool idea, the life support belts. <laughs> there were, As usual, so much of Trek that, that's a cool idea is invented because of budget reasons, just like the transporter was a budget reason thing, just like the view screen was a budget reason thing. The life support belts are a way to not have to have people be in bulky, you know, uh, costly to animate and requiring extra frames, uh, or not frames, uh, cells. I don't, I don't remember the actual term. The, the sheets they put down there. They write it down and they layer the sheets. Anyways, uh, not requiring extra animation in order to actually do extra drawing time. So, woo! It's also an interesting idea in its own right. It's a shame it will never show up for Trek ever again, unless it has by now, in which case, please ignore me. So, um, you'll notice I've been talking for a bit now. You'll also notice that I haven't really discussed the episode proper. That's because the episode proper, other than the notes I've already mentioned, I have exactly three notes to mention. Not a lot of meat on the bones here. Not really impressed. First of all, we have the invasive AI energy thing. Okay, that's cool. Second, if you had just broken out of the prison of doom... I mean, wouldn't one of your first acts be wanting to destroy the everything crap out of that prison? Third point. He wants to go... It wants to go to the heart of the galaxy and can reproduce and spread throughout the stars. Galactic level threat. Cool. I find myself wondering if... Since this is canon now, which also means Star Trek V is canon, which makes no sense... I find myself wondering if the One was actually had actually sent this thing out into the stars you know, begrillions of years ago, and it was supposed to come back and release him. You know, after all, what does God need with a starship, right? It fits weirdly well, doesn't it? I know it doesn't fit perfectly, and obviously neither side had any idea that the other existed when connecting those two points. It's just something that occurred to me. So that's it. That's the episode. Actually, I do have one last thing to mention. Allow me to give a recommendation uh, for anybody watching this with me, or who has never watched this show before. Uh, Don't watch it. No, no. I don't mean, like, turn off the TV and go out and play in the sunshine, although that'd be cool, too. No, what I mean is don't actually watch the episode. Listen to the episode, which I know several of you do with me, personally. Just listen to it. Now, the voice acting is not good, as I've already complained about, but I feel like the episode works better when it's effectively a radio drama. Because the animation really is terrible. I get why. 
I understand why, but why only explains. It doesn't make it better. It is bad. And the only reason I would recommend... Now, I am going to try and watch this episode. Now, I'm going to explain what I mean by that in just a moment. Um, I... <laughs> I do have one caveat there. If you if you want to try and have basically, if you want to make fun of the show, it, it, I don't have a nicer way of putting that. If you want to see all the ridiculousness and the mistakes and the just oh my god, I can't believe they did. And it's not even the bad the the the, the stuff where they make errors. That's the funny stuff. Just the normal stuff is just face palmingly. Wow. There's a reason I chose the intro. Like you know, I I usually contract someone K who's awesome, and he usually does these big awesome CGI intros for these Star Trek ruminations. There's a reason I chose the intro you saw at the beginning of this video for the intro for the TAS stuff. I actually thought about making my own animated intro, but the problem is with the tools I have at my disposal, I could probably make one that's better than the show. So, anyways. The last thing I was going to mention really quick is that I am trying, going to try and actually watch this this show going forwards. I say it that way because I failed at it for the first episode without meaning to, without any intention. Like I had, I had the episode right here on this very monitor, and my eyes just sort of, over time, drifted down to my notes, and I found myself just sitting here, like this, listening to the episode. Like, uh huh. Oh, that's an interesting thought. And I'm listening as I go, and I'm just completely not watching it at all. <laughs> and I caught myself like four minutes before the end. I'm like, I wonder how much of the episode's left. And then I realized I hadn't seen like what, what had to have been eight or nine minutes of the episode. I was just, oh my gosh. So I'm going to try to make the effort to actually watch, watch the episode, I swear. No promises. I hope you all have enjoyed. <laughs> I'll see you next time.